Hi, my name is Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot. Now, after three years, five flight instructors, and over $22,000 out of my bank account, I was finally able to achieve my dream and become a private pilot. Now, I have a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering and over 10 years experience as a flight test engineer. So if it was that difficult for someone like me, no wonder eight out of 10 student pilots never end up becoming a pilot. So this is why I created Part-Time Pilot, and this is why I'm creating this podcast. This podcast will be your audio ground school and just another way part-time pilot is making flight training easier and more consumable for you. So with over 300 students and counting that have used our content to pass the FAA private pilot exams, I hope that you can use this podcast to become the next student to do so. So thank you and I hope you enjoy listening to the part-time pilot audio ground school podcast hey what's up guys this is nick from part-time pilot in episode two of the podcast and audio ground school we're going to be talking about section two operations of aircraft systems that's section two from our online ground school and we're going to start on lesson two primary flight controls and we'll see about in an hour how much we get through, but hopefully we can get through lesson three, which is aircraft lights, lesson four, cockpit instruments, and then maybe even lesson five, which is the electrical system. But we'll see. Again, not sure how long this is going to take us. So let's get to section two, lesson two, primary flight controls. The primary flight controls of an aircraft allow you to climb, descend, bank, crab, side slip, take off, land, and also fly straight and level. The major components of the aircraft that allow you to make these maneuvers are the flight control surfaces, or the primary flight controls. And these are the ailerons on the wings, the rudder, which is on the vertical stabilizer of the tail, the elevator, or the stabilator, which is on the horizontal stabilizer of the tail, and any trim tabs, generally, for the rudder and elevator, but mostly just for the elevator or the elevator or stabilator. Um, before I explain how each works, we need to understand the three axes of movement of an aircraft. Those three axes are the roll axis, the pitch axis, and the yaw axis. Roll is the aircraft's movement or rotation about the Z axis. And the Z-axis, if you can see in the figure, if you're in the online ground school, you can see this figure. If not, I will post a, this video. We've made a YouTube video on this, and I'll post that in the show notes. But the Z-axis is the axis that goes straight through the fuselage. So if you're sitting in the aircraft, it'll go like through your back and then through your belly out the nose of the aircraft and then also the opposite direction you know through your belly through your back through the tail of the aircraft and out the back so that's that's the z axis so through the nose and out the tail and then roll is the movement around that axis so if if that axis is like a stick you can imagine like a stick and then you and say say you like a roasting stick and then you put a marshmallow on that and the marshmallow is your aircraft and then you rolled that stick right you rolled it in your hand left and right 
that's like roll when that stick kind of rolls left or right now pitch is the aircraft's rotation about the x-axis now the x-axis goes through the wings so it goes out one wingtip and out the other wingtip and pitch is the rotation about that so then if you were to again let's say you had a marshmallow aircraft and you were to stick a stick a roasting stick through the wings and then you were able to and then you were to roll that stick right the aircraft would pitch up and the nose and tail would go up and down uh, because you'd be rolling it about the wings and that's the pitch axis or the x-axis x-axis and then yaw is the aircraft's rotation about the y-axis and the y-axis is the vertical axis and that goes you know if you're sitting in the cockpit and you're sitting right on you know the cg the yaw axis would go through your head upwards and then through your butt downwards right so it's it's vertically straight through the fuselage around about uh, the area of the wings and then so again if we had a marshmallow aircraft and you just from the top of the aircraft you stuck your roasting stick through it and then you were to rotate that left or right the nose of the aircraft would would turn to the right or turn to the left and the tail would follow right so that's the yaw if you can visualize that and again we have a video in the show notes that you should go check out okay so let's get to the control surfaces we have uh, ailerons we'll start with ailerons and ailerons are found on the trailing edge and outboard side of single engine propeller aircraft so those are the aircraft that you will train in for general aviation and the word aileron is actually a french word which means little wing so that's convenient now imagine the last six inches or so of the wing put on a hinge so you have the the leading edge of the wing right so that's towards the front of the aircraft that's where the air hits hits that part first and then you have the trailing edge of the wing so that's the back side of the wing you know closer to the tail so on that trailing edge the last six inches or so if that part of the wing was just kind of able to move it was put on a hinge and it was able to deflect up or down that last six inches of the wing so that's basically what ailerons are it's that little wing that french word right and the purpose of ailerons is to roll the airplane around the z-axis so remember we said the z-axis was if you stuck a a roasting stick through your airplane marshmallow straight through the nose out the tail and then you rolled it it would kind of roll around that the wingtips would go up and down so that's roll around the z-axis and ailerons do that so when you and this helps it the aircraft to turn so both the left wing and right wing are connected via the same control rods and they therefore they move simultaneously so that the ailerons on the left wing and the ailerons on the right wing they're all connected so that when you turn the yoke so you turn on the yoke left or you turn it right the right aileron and the left aileron are going to move at the same time however they move in opposite direction of one another so they can only go up and down and when one aileron goes up the other one goes down so for example if turning left the pilot will turn the yoke to the left causing the left aileron to deflect up and the right aileron to deflect down so the wings and ailerons are designed such that when the aileron deflects up the wing has less what we call camber and it's an aeronautical term and it it sort of means the the curvature 
of of the aileron and the aileron which we'll get to but the aileron is a cross section of the wing so if you were at the wingtips standing at the wingtips of a plane you would look right down in line the wing like from the side directly from the side that shape that the wing is from the side that cross section of the wing that's the aileron and when that has more curvature it's kind of that's kind of what we're talking about with camber and so when the aileron deflects up it kind of ruins that shape right that the shape has now changed that that cross-sectional shape and pattern of the wing changes so when it deflects up it has less camber and produces less lift and then uh, when the aileron deflects down it kind of has more curvature right and so the wing has more camber and produces more lift and so going back to our example in a left turn the left aileron goes up and this causes less lift on the left wing, which causes the left wing to dip down. It's creating less lift, so it's gonna fall with gravity, right? So the left wing dips. And when the right aileron goes down at the very same time, remember they, they move at the same time when you turn the yoke to the left. In a left turn, this causes more lift on the right wing because the aileron deflected down and you have more curvature, so you get more lift. So now that lift is more than gravity over there, and that causes the right wing to lift up. So at the same time, you're getting the left wing to have less lift and dip, and the right wing to have more lift and rise. And so this effect causes the revolting the resulting force of lift to turn the aircraft to the left. So you, you roll around that, that roll axis, which is down the center of the fuselage, through the nose and out the back of the tail. The left wing dips, the right wing goes, and you kind of see, you can visualize that roll. And again, we have uh, in our video, we can show that visualization of that movement. And also in our course, we have that video, and we also have images which show this as well. All right, so that's the ailerons. And for the rudder, so while ailerons control the roll of the aircraft, the rudder controls the yaw or movement about the y-axis. Now remember we said the y-axis was a vertical axis. If you just stick that roasting stick through your aircraft marshmallow straight from the top of it, you just stuck it in there and then you rolled it around, the nose would move to the left or right and then the, the tail would follow. So most instructors will tell you to watch the nose of the aircraft uh, relative to a point on the horizon in order to coordinate the yaw of the aircraft. And so a coordinated turn is one that, and we'll get to this, uh, when you turn an aircraft, you get adverse yaw. And so you want to make sure that your yaw is coordinated with, with your roll when you turn the aircraft. And so that's what the instructor means when they say that, coordinate your turn. So many things can affect the movement of the nose from side to side, aka yaw, including wind, adverse yaw, and then left turning tendencies, which again, we'll get to down the road. And if you're familiar with the rudder of a boat, the rudder of an aircraft is the exact same concept. Rudders are found on the vertical stabilizer on the tail of the aircraft and can be deflected to the left or right. So just like the rudder on a boat, you know, it's, it's vertically vertical in the water. And when you deflect it, you know, one way or the other way, it's going to turn the entire boat. The entire boat's going to turn its direction when you change the, the direction of that rudder. So if you imagine the flow of air over the vertical stabilizer, and then imagine the rudder being deflected to the left. So if we're looking at it, we're looking at the aircraft from the back, from behind it, so from the back of the tail, 
and that rudder deflects off to the left, the force of the air on the rudder would push the tail of the aircraft to the right. So you had that rudder deflected to the left and you have air coming by like, you know, shooting past either side of the vertical stabilizer. So when you deflect into the air to the left, the air is going to hit that on the left and it's going to want to push the tail to the right. And this causes the nose of the aircraft to move to the left, right? Because it's rotating about that roasting stick that's right, you know, from the top right in the middle of our aircraft. So it's rotating around that. So the nose is going to move to the left as the tail gets pushed to the right. Uh, just as the flow of water would force a boat to turn left or right with, with the boats, the rudders of a boat. And then again, I mentioned this before, but rudders and ailerons need to be used in tandem to keep the aircraft coordinated during maneuvers. And when landing in a crosswind, the rudder is particularly important to keep the body of the aircraft aligned with the runway so that when touchdown is made and the wheels are aligned to travel straight down the runway. So, and again, we'll, we'll get to this. So this, if this is a little bit advanced, don't worry. But when you are flying, landing in a crosswind, if you don't do any correction, the wind is going to, and you're, you're flying, you're aiming at the, the runway, the wind's going to, and the wind's to the left, it's going to push your aircraft to the right. So what you have to do is you have to fight the wind and you have to point the nose of the aircraft. You have to basically turn into the wind enough so that you're fighting the wind perfectly so that your path will continue down to the runway but when you turn into the wind your wheels are now turned so that when you if you land on the runway your wheels are not going to be pointed straight down the runway and you could really damage your aircraft so what you do then is then you yaw you use your rudder to turn the nose of the aircraft so then the fuselage is lined up with your runway and again, we'll get to all this if that's too much, but um, something to think about and why we we coordinate roll with yaw. Okay, next up, we're going to talk about the elevator or stabilator. So the elevator controls the pitch of the aircraft or the rotation about the x-axis. So this axis was our roasting stick stuck through our aircraft marshmallow through one wingtip and out the other wingtip. So when we rotate that, the nose goes up and down and the tail goes up and down in the opposite direction of the nose. So an elevator an elevator is the hinged part of the trailing edge of the horizontal stabilizer on the tail of the aircraft. So just like the ailerons were the last six or so inches on a hinge of the wing that changed that camber and shape of the wing, well the, the horizontal stabilizer is just a miniature wing. It creates lift on the tail to keep the aircraft balanced and stable in flight and so it's just a miniature wing and the elevator is basically just a miniature aileron so but like unlike the ailerons where ailerons one aileron goes up the other aileron goes down the elevators on either side of the horizontal stabilizer they work the same so if one goes down the other side goes down if one goes up the other side goes up uh, but some small aircraft will have a a stable later which is where the entire horizontal stabilizer moves up and down. And this has the same effect. So when elevator goes down, you're increasing the camber on the horizontal stabilizer and you're increasing the lift on it. So that's going to raise the tail. When the elevator deflects up, you're decreasing the camber. It's going to decrease the lift and the tail is going to go down, causing the nose to go up. Okay, So that's how you pitch up and down. Now, when you have a stable later, 
where the whole thing moves up and down, it's the same thing. So when the, the stabilator moves up, you're increasing that angle, you're increasing the curvature of the wind that has to go over it, and you're increasing the lift on the tail, which will lift up the tail and make the nose drop. Again, because we're rotating about that roasting stick that's through our wings. And then if uh, the stabilator, the, the leading edge goes down and it tilts down, the whole thing shifts down, now you have less camber, less curvature that we want, and it's going to have less lift. And the, the tail of the aircraft is going to drop, the nose will rise, and that's how you pitch up. So when the pilot pushes the yoke forward, you want to, they want to dive. They want to you know, pitch down. So that when this happens, the elevator deflects downwards. So when you push down on the yoke, when you push forward on the yoke, elevator goes down, and the stabilator, if it was a stabilator, would tilt such that the leading edge goes up and the trailing edge goes down. So when we push forward and we want to pitch down, we want more lift on the tail. So we're creating a situation, whether it's the elevator or the stabilator, where we have more lift, more camber on the tail, so that the tail has more lift, it rises, and in effect, our nose goes down. So, and then when the pilot pulls back on the yoke, also referred to as the pilot giving back pressure to the yoke, the elevator or stabilator deflects upwards, deflects upwards, and if a stabilator, it tilts such that the, the leading edge goes down and the trailing edge goes up. Again, we're undoing the camber of the wing, we're creating less lift, so that the tail will drop and then in effect the nose at the same time does the opposite and it goes up so we pitch up so when we pull back on the yoke we pitch up and the nose goes up again so and what another way to put this so when we're pitching up and the, we're creating less lift on on the tail the horizontal tail we're essentially the changing of the elevator or the stabilator is creating a lower angle of attack, which also that's another way of saying it. I mean, I'm talking about camber, but in effect, it's changing that angle of attack. And as you'll see later, as angle of attack increases until the critical angle of attack, but as it increases, the lift increases. So if we decrease that angle of attack or decrease the camber as we're doing, it's going to decrease that lift. And then uh, on the opposite side, if we increase that angle of attack when we when we want to pitch down. So when we push forward on the yoke and the elevator tilts down, we're increasing that angle of attack. We're creating more lift on the tail. So the tail rises and the nose pushes down. Again, this is hopefully I've done a good job of explaining what what kind of this looks like and give you that, that visual picture in your head. But again, we have a video that shows, we have some GIFs in there that show these kind of movements. So go check that out. It's in the show notes. And let's move on to flaps. So flaps are essentially an extension of the wing found on the trailing edge of the wing on the inboard side. So they're inboard of the ailerons. That means they're closer to the fuselage. They are controlled by the pilot either electrically or, or manually. When neutral, flaps match the camber of the wings. So they're flush to the shape of the wings and they have no effect. So it's just they're just flush. They're, they have no effect and the wings are just doing their thing. But when applied by the pilot, they're deflected downward. And they're usually in three different settings, 10 degrees, 25 degrees, or 40 degrees. And that's the degrees measured from the normal shape of the wing and that deflection away from that normal shape. 
And when deflected down, they change the camber and cord line of the wing and increase lift. So we have a visual example. Again, I've sort of been talking about this, but just like the ailerons of the elevator, it changes that general shape, that camber of the airfoil of the wing. And what that does is it changes what another term called the cord line. The cord line is the imaginary line from the leading edge, the tip of the leading edge to the tip of the trailing edge. So when that trailing edge is tilted down, like with flaps or ailerons, that cord line is going to shift down as well. And the angle of attack is our angle between the relative wind and that cord line. So when, when we lower the flaps, the back of the cord line is going to tilt down and it's going to basically be more inclined with the relative wind. It's going to have a larger angle between the relative wind, which is a larger angle of attack. Um, again, check out the video so you can visualize that better. So the purpose of flaps is to enable the pilot to make steeper approaches to a landing without increasing airspeed. Remember that for the FAA written exam. The purpose of flaps is to enable the pilot to make steeper approaches to a landing without increasing airspeed. Since the flaps help the wings create more lift, and therefore you don't need as much airspeed. So there's two ways to increase lift, which we'll get to. There's airspeed. The more airspeed you have, the more lift you have. And the more angle of attack, the more lift you have. So if we can create the wings to have a higher angle of attack, we don't need as much airspeed. This allows us to approach the ground at a lower airspeed, but still be able to glide in and have enough lift to glide in and not just drop out of the sky. So that's the purpose of flaps. So you can come down with reduced airspeed and land. And this increase in lift means a, a lower stall speed, which is particularly handy when landing, when you want the aircraft to be flying as slow as possible so that you can gently touch down on the ground. So that stall speed, you don't want to go below that or you'll stall. So when you deploy the flaps, it lowers the stall speed, which allows you again to fly slower without stalling. Sort of what I was saying, saying earlier, you'll continue to provide lift and you won't stall. Flaps lower the stall speed simply by the fact that you don't need as high, as high of an angle of attack in order to achieve the same amount of lift because the flaps are, are changing that angle of attack for you. When the flaps are extended and the wing camber and core line changes, the effective angle of attack is reduced, as I said. Okay, so that is flaps. Let's move on to trim tabs, and then we have flight control counterweights as well, which we'll talk about because there is an FA written question you might get asked by your examiner. So trim tabs. On most small aircraft, there are usually two types of trim. Elevator trim, which in the ground school we have uh, a visualization of this and it's colored in red and then rudder trim which is colored in green and again these are basically these are control surfaces for our control surfaces so trim tab is like a rudder or is like an elevator for an elevator so you have the hinge part of the elevator on the back of the horizontal stabilizer and then inside that that hinged area of the elevator you have another hinged area for the tab the trim tab. The purpose of trim is to make life easy on pilots and compensate for power settings, aircraft control system air, and the loading CG of the aircraft. So if um, you have a certain CG of the aircraft which wants your aircraft to want to pitch up, you'll 
add in some trim tab to basically change that little surface so it adds more lift to the tail to raise the tail and counteract that tendency to want to pitch up. So it'll want to make it pitch down because you've input that trim. You've added a little bit of change to the shape of the wing. And I, I say permanent, um, but it's not permanent because you can change it by usually they have a, a trim wheel. It's a wheel in the cockpit that you just move up and down. And as you roll it back, it's going to trim that down. And as you roll it forward, it's going to trim it up. So all right, my, I think I had that, that opposite. When you roll it back, it's going to trim it up. So anyways... That's, that's the purpose of the trim tab. So you always got to be cognizant of what your trim tab is. But a little bit here and there on either side can make your life as a pilot much easier. Uh, so the trim tabs, as they are called, are basically, like I said, mini elevators or mini rudders that can be controlled either electrically or manually by the pilot. So some of them are electrically controlled. There's a little electric servo. Each aircraft was designed to fly straight and level in a specific set of atmospheric conditions aircraft loading, power settings, and airspeed. So if any of those things change, atmospheric conditions, aircraft loading, power setting, or airspeed, your aircraft might not want to fly straight and level. So if you want to fly the aircraft at 2,000 RPM, about 75% full power for like a Cherokee Warrior, uh, but you don't want to descend or climb, and you don't want to have to constantly pitch up, then you can set the trim tab and reduce your workload so you don't have to constantly be pitching uh, forward or back and to take the workload off of you and to basically reset, recalibrate back to that neutral straight, straight and level. All right, the next part and the final part of this lesson is flight control counterweights. Flight control counterweights are included in most aircraft's control systems. On small aircraft, they work by applying a weight to the control rods so that it is more difficult and requires more forces to pull the yoke or call control column while the aircraft is experiencing heavy g-forces so let's take a step back when you pull forward or back on the yoke or you turn left or right you're basically putting force on control rods that then propagate you know these control rods are connected to either you know wires in the, or more rods which then end up you know mechanically moving the control surfaces on your aircraft so when you pull back on the yoke or forward on the yoke, there's a connection from your your yoke all the way back to the elevator in the back, which makes it move. Now, when we are flying at high G forces, so we're in a steep bank or a steep climb or something like that, the aircraft is only designed to handle certain G forces. The actual structural integrity of the aircraft can actually break down above certain g-forces it just can't withstand that sort of force and if you increase your input on the pitch or the roll in these situations it'll just make it worse flight control counterweights are weights on those control rods and as and they're designed to make it harder for you the more g-forces you encounter so there's weights on there right so when the g-forces go up that weight gets heavier okay a g-force is just a force multiplier on gravity so we're used to having one g of gravity all the time so i weigh 170 pounds so that's in one g but when i go to 2g it's like i'm 340 pounds 
Okay, so it, it multiplies that force of your weight, the G-force does. So those flight control counterweights, they might weigh, I don't know, 30 pounds at 1G. But when you start and you get into like a 3G bank, now that 50 pound, that 30, what did I say? Let's say I said 50 pounds. Let's say the counterweight's 50 pounds. And if you go into 3Gs, now that 50-pound counterweight is 150 pounds. So that it's going to be much harder. You're going to be pulling against that 150 pounds, whereas before you were pulling at 1G, you are pulling against that 50 pounds. It's going to, and the more G-forces it goes, the harder it gets, right? So it goes to 4Gs, it's 4 times 50. It's that force multiplier, so it's 200 pounds. When you get to 5, it's 250 pounds. 6, 300 pounds. So it gets harder and harder the more G-forces, and that's just a simple, elegant way to basically deter you from adding more more roll or more pitch or something in those high G situations because, again, the aircraft doesn't want you to get into those situations because it's only designed to handle a specific amount of G-forces and you can actually break the structure of your aircraft. So again, they're designed to protect the aircraft structure in high G-force situations by increasing the load on the control column with an increase in G-force. Normally, the force required to control the aircraft only increases with an increase in airspeed. More flow. This is when more flow is over the wings and more resistance on the control surfaces. But with the flight control counterweights, you get added force required when you increase the G-forces as well. All right, guys, so that has been primary control surfaces. It took a little bit longer than I thought, actually a lot longer than I thought. So that will be episode two of our audio ground school. And then lesson three of section two of our ground school. So again, section two is operation of aircraft systems. We just finished lesson two, primary flight controls. Lesson three will be aircraft lights. We should be able to get through that a little bit quicker, and we'll do that in episode three. Thank you for listening. If you're following along in the ground school, you can now take that quiz on lesson two. So take that quiz, see how you do, and watch those videos. And then if you're just listening, you can watch the video. The link is in the show notes. And if you're not following along in the ground school and you want to join, just go to www.parttimepilot.com and just click in the menu on Online Ground School, and you can sign up and follow along with us. All right, thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Hey, guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times, and then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, it's not that we're not thinking, 
but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations. If we do have to think about these things, it's going to put us behind mentally and we're going to be behind the aircraft. And when you're behind the aircraft mentally, bad things happen. And this happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ground school content. So now the first 10 to 15 hours of your flight training can go smooth, even if you don't have a good understanding of ground training, right? You can go up for a discovery flight, have a blast. You can go up, learn how to take off, learn how to land. You may be even able to solo for the first time fly a plane for the first time everything's great and dandy but once you get into you know bad weather flying or flying at heavy heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for Bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight things get a little more advanced and when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts you're gonna hit a wall you're gonna start to get behind the aircraft and when this happens if you have a good flight instructor, they're going to stop you and they're going to say, okay, we need to do one-on-one -on -one ground lessons. And now you're going to be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you, but instead $50, $60, $70 an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know. And, at, and the worst part is, is you're not flying with them. So the flight training that you gain, the currency, the proficiency that you gained is going to be lost and you're going to have to redo those lessons. What happens to most student pilots is they continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft they start making mistakes and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again and they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings until it gets to the point where them or their family they finally say you know what this has to stop we can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress you know and they end up quitting now so how do we avoid that well, here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said I went through my own experience of this and I realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. And when I say modern day student pilot, I just say modern day part-time student pilot because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24-7, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working so most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job we have kids we have family we have school we have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training and most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you and so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot well the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting you want to avoid being boring you want to avoid that burnout so how we do that is we present our material in multiple multiple ways and you're actually listening to one of them right now you can consume our content via this podcast and an audio recording you can do this while you're running while you're driving in traffic again tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot or you can read through our written lessons you know i like to read so for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons. You can see the step-by-step -step examples and the procedures that we have. 
or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices have that visual cue those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding or you can watch our videos or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7. All of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring, keep from having that burnout and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule. And guess what? It works. We've had over 350 student pilots come through, take and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing. That's right. A single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts the way we explain things in plain written English and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested in and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on Online Ground School, and we'll see you inside the Online Ground School. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.